You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review on Wednesday, March 13th. And I know it's Wednesday the 13th, but it feels like it's Friday the 13th. Every day is Friday the 13th because we are in the twilight zone here. But fear not, this is your safe space, your sanctuary city from the insanity of politics, the false choices, the misinformation, the distractions. We focus on what is actually going on as it relates to policy, what's important, what both parties are missing, what even the administration, unfortunately, is missing. And boy, you know, they're obviously missing something. The last couple of weeks, we've really spent most of our shows on this issue of sovereignty. It's very hard to get away from it because no issue really matters if we've agreed to the notion that anyone could just come into the country, assert anything, unilaterally assert jurisdiction. We have no choice but to let them in. Then we have no choice but to let them go. And we have no choice but to count them in the census and no choice but to give them citizenship for their kids. No choice but to give them welfare. It takes forever to deport anyone, even criminals. Then you have states that are violating all sorts of laws um, and refuse to give up even criminal aliens. We have a Senate that somehow finds religion with Article One powers and cares about power grabs when it comes to a president finally trying to do something to address the issue. Although, as we've spoken about, and we're going to elaborate on today, the border wall really is not the issue at this moment, given the self-immolating lawfare that gets around the border wall. But at least, all right, there's something there that, no, you can't do it. Well, whatever happened to the courts and the states and the sanctuary states, all of this stuff don't they ever want to introduce any legislation to deal with that? Well, no, not even with Republicans in charge. Um, So we're left in the twilight zone here. We're left with being strangers, foreigners in our own land where illegals have all sorts of rights and we can do nothing about it. What should Trump be doing now? We've laid out a lot of different um, ideas on the interior at the border, Fundamentally, we have made the legal, philosophical, historical case why the president shouldn't have to let in anyone he doesn't want to let in. That is inherent Article Two powers that the courts themselves have said many, many times, and we've cited that before. But there's another interesting angle. I'm going to have an article out today on this idea of even once we do let them in a way of still protecting the American citizens from the liability of catch and release and the trickling down effect and the magnets that that creates to incentivize more to come. There is an interesting idea having to do with tent cities. If you remember, Trump uh, mentioned that a while ago, and it's one of the many good ideas that he touts rhetorically, but somehow when it comes to uh, actions, we don't really see it. And I got that idea that I wrote about today from Jessica Vaughn. We've had her on the show before. If you don't know Jessica Vaughn, well, 
sorry to say you don't know immigration policy. Jessica has been working on immigration, particularly in interior enforcement issues that a lot of people forget about for decades. And uh, she's been uh, currently and has been for many years the director of policy studies at the Center for Immigration Studies. She lives in Massachusetts, but is originally from my neck of the woods outside of Baltimore. And with no further ado, it is an honor to bring back for the second time Jessica Vaughn to the Conservative Conscience. Hey, Jessica, how you doing? Doing well. Great to be with you. Uh, I have to say that I'm, I'm doing even better. Um, you're, um, I have moved very recently in the last couple of weeks from Massachusetts to South Carolina. So I'm doing better because it's a lot warmer down here. Holy smokes. I didn't even know about that. See, we're so busy talking <laughs> policy. I know. Um, th- that's because that's our flagship. Uh, you know, Conservative Review is based. Our Southern Command is in Greenville. Um, so you've no moved kidding. away from from the sanctuaries for illegals, hopefully an American sanctuary. Uh, man, it is a 287G E-Verify County. Oh my gosh, there you go. Um, things are different here. <laughs> th- th- things are different until the courts get a hold of it, of course. But that is that is interesting. I want to revisit that, but I, I want to start off first before we get to. The idea that that you floated with me yesterday, and and we'll have an article out, and hopefully we can get this up on Drudge today. Um, am I missing something in just my observation? The president declared an emergency a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, simultaneously while signing a bill that that the two of us had had a lot of issues with, and yeah. ever since then, I I don't really see any other parallel actions aside from the promise to reprogram DOD funding for uh, a a border fence, any parallel actions that truly act as if or or demonstrate the emergency, treat this as serious. They're kind of quiet. Um, The numbers keep surging just uh, overnight. On the last 20, preceding 24-hour period, there were 1,000 people that came in at Rio Grande, record number, 750 came in in Yuma. Um, they're coming behind the fence, and we're getting them. Um, they're crossing the river, and we feel obligated to get them. The catch and release really has accelerated. Uh, they're being released even quicker under a truncated period of, t- period of time. Um, I, I, did, did they not – is it their plan just to wait it out? Are they doing something that I don't know? Not that I can see. Um, it, it looks very much as if they have just sort of given up. At least uh, two particular key officials, DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen and um, the Director of Customs and Border Protection, which includes both the Border Patrol and the legal ports of entry, uh, the Director Kevin McAleenan, they they went and talked a good game when they recently appeared before Congress at hearings and talking about the urgency of the situation and what's going on down there. But they're just talking. They, to me, look as if they are, have just sort of thrown up their hands and they're basically saying, we can't do anything about this crisis unless Congress passes some new laws to fix them. Now, I'm the first one to agree that we need better statutes, that, that there are some tweaks that need more than tweaks. Some some parts of the law need to be rewritten to prevent this from happening. But that's about as likely as happening now as pigs fly. I mean, it's just Congress is not going to pass any new laws. I don't think on almost anything, certainly not on immigration right now. 
And we probably don't want any of the laws that they might pass if they get the chance or try to behind our backs or in the, you know, the smoke-filled room. They do not, uh, they are not really taking any meaningful action to do something about this. It's as if they've waved the white flag and they went through this um, battle over the spending bill and they're just, you know, they're, they've checked out. And that is irresponsible. Um, and But there are things that can be done. That's what's so frustrating. They need to try some things. They, they you know, if some, they shouldn't be afraid of lawsuits. They need to figure out uh, what can be done about this. And, and as you and I have talked many times, there are things that they could be trying. And we don't know what's going to work, but they need to at least try some things. They uh, put a lot of stock, in, and I thought it, I, you know, it was a policy that I had pushed for for a long time, this remain in Mexico policy where asylum seekers will simply have to wait in Mexico instead of being allowed into the United States to pursue asylum claims. Well, yeah, it's, it's, they've started implementing it. But in the last few months, out of the thousands and thousands of people who've come into the country, only 240 have been told <laughs> to remain in Mexico. I mean, it's absurd. Uh, it's it's not going to make a difference. And this is the uh, thing. So they need to do something else. I, I don't always want to be the Grim Reaper. And, I, and, of course, I've gotten that name and the uh, prophet of woe and doom and lamentation. <laughs> and, and, look, I want to say good news. And that's why whenever I see stuff, I want to highlight it. But what happens is then I get egg on my face every time. Like, man, I try to fight for this administration. They're doing this. And then I look and it's it's – something goes awry. So I, I noted at the time, hey, this is good. You know, this is one of the things we push that there's no reason the American people should have to have the liability on our soil while this charade goes through, at least if you're going to deal with it, process it off our soil. And I was like, wow, this is great. They're, they're doing it. And I was like, wait a minute. Th then that means that everyone coming to at least those two ports where they started it should be turned back. And then I see 240. I'm like, how did you even pick them out? I mean, what, what, what is what is going on here? So uh, my, my question to you is my audience wants me to name names, and they always do, and they don't want me to be as vague as I sometimes am. And I never felt comfortable with Kirsten Nielsen as DHS secretary, um, uh, you know, Kevin McAleenan as CBP commissioner. But then – and you've kind of cleared up something for me because – I started to feel bad for them. I would watch them give testimony before mm -hmm. Congress. I'd see the Democrats just just be horrible to them and really obnoxious and rude. And they, they seem to be saying what we're saying. I'm like, man, maybe I'm misjudging them. But are, are you, in fact, saying that that's part of the game? They basically want to say, yeah, this is horrible. This is this is going on and 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 put it all in front of Congress. Like, if you don't do anything, then we're, we're done as if there's nothing they can do. Right. There's no there's no accountability for them. They're not taking any responsibility. They're not being creative. They're not um, really trying. I don't think I think they're talking the talk to keep their boss happy, the president, to give him the impression. It's like they have this kind of condescending attitude, like, well, if we look good on TV and he hears us me talking tough on TV, you know, I get to stay in my job a little longer and uh, do some favors for my real friends who are, you know, the travel industry and the higher education industry and big business donor class and establishment Republicans. And I'm going to set myself up for a nice job when I'm done in the private sector. Like, I, I, 
you know, who knows what they're really thinking. Maybe I'm being unfair, but it sure looks like that. <laughs> and I'm sure so, hearing this from everyone, I mean, everyone in the know that cares about this issue, um, some of the stuff I don't have enough to report on, but it certainly does appear that, you know, they're taking this approach that there's nothing they can do. And I can understand if that's on, you know, certain healthcare and tax policy very much set by our laws and there's not much you can do if you don't like Obamacare. You know, that is a scheme set up by Congress. But you know, when it comes to this, the sovereignty is sovereignty. And we have three branches of government for a reason. And the executive branch, the president controls any item or person that crosses an international boundary. That gets into right. inherent Article Two power as well as un- – plenty of delegated authority to shut that down. So, you know, I wanted to go over some of the ideas that you put out that I think haven't been talked about enough. A while back, the president mentioned a couple months ago, tent cities. Why don't we, we're going to put them in tent cities and we're going to build beautiful tents. Remember he talked about tents. He was very into that. We don't hear about tents. Could you explain where the tents are coming from? Well, Along about halfway through the Obama administration, uh, around 2011 or so, 2012, uh, the Department of Homeland Security and a number of other uh, national security-related agencies, including the Department of Defense, went through an exercise that they do every so often, as any big organization does, and come up with plans for emergencies, and specifically mass migration emergencies. And if this isn't one now, we've never, you know, I don't know what is. But at any rate, they, uh, the career people at these agencies, there's a, a task force put together and they write a plan and they test it and they run it by everybody and they get clearance and they get input from everyone who would be involved and they write it down and they put it in a binder. And it's what they're supposed to pull off the shelf in the event of a mass migration emergency. It's, you know, this is good government. So they have a, one for the scenario of mass migration by sea, which we have in fact had in our history a few times, most recently Haitians um, trying to come. And now we have one by land and they have a plan for that too. And the plan said that tent cities would be set up to house people in the event that a large number of people started ma- coming over the border illegally um, and that, you know, we, whether it was fleeing some earthquake or, you know, seeking jobs, whatever the reason, if you have an unusually large number of people arriving in a special humanitarian situation, this is what you, we are going to do. We are going to take tents that the Department of Defense has in stock and we're going to put them in a facility that we can build very quickly right next to existing uh immigration detention centers that are there so we can hook them up to the same electrical system and the same supervisors can oversee what's going on and it will just be an extension of what we have and if it becomes more permanent then we're going to build something a little more you know solid tents you know maybe you know with little harder structures and if it becomes you know goes on for even longer than that we might build some buildings but they had it all written down what they were supposed to do and I don't know, somehow some, well, the, the person who was who coordinated this effort was a guy by the name of Gary Mead, former director of ICE under Obama, uh, or excuse me, of, of 
enforcement and removal operations. He told me he coordinated the whole thing, told me what was in it. And he said when the first um, group of unaccompanied minors started coming, when the numbers started going up in 2012 and uh, Governor Rick Perry of Texas started to complain and they saw what was happening with these arrivals of unaccompanied minors being caught and released and more and more started to come. And a lot of them were gang members. He said, we got to do this. Here's our plan. Time to do it. And his superiors said, uh, nah, we're not going to do that. We don't like the idea of those tents. But, <laughs> you know, he doesn't have, you know, he, Gary Mead is gone. Uh, you know, it's a, a new administration. Clearly, the commander in chief is not afraid of tents. <laughs> so I, I cannot imagine why this this has not been put into place. I think part of the reason is that there are the, the hand ringers who are career people in some of these agencies are going, oh, oh, we did the Flores settlement agreement. The judge in California said we're not allowed to hold children. Oh, they're applying for asylum. Oh, they're going to be bad news stories. And they just haven't done it. But then you should be saying to yourself, well, how can we process them within the 72 hours that yes. the law does give us? to keep even children in custody and determine their asylum claim. I mean, these are not difficult cases for the most part. Um, what, you know, there's no reason why they can't decide these cases quicker. Instead, they're dumping them on our broken immigration court system that is now backlogged with more than 800,000 cases to the point where somebody applying for asylum today is not going to have a hearing or not going to have their case finished for eight years. This is clearly a ridiculous situation that needs a different approach. And, they need and to surge resources yeah. down there and just decide the cases. Just do it. it, it you know, this put, reminds it's like me. like night court. No, 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 so I want to I want to freeze frame because you said a lot. I want to digest that and get to the rocket docket what you're talking about but you, but right off the bat so again the problem is that okay there's one thing if there, you have a scam that you have an invasion from a country where we feel we need to adjudicate now any sane country i believe in any other era would recognize that prima facie none of this is about asylum it's about we opened our doors anyone from impoverished countries is just going to come and you just have to just shut this down but if you feel that you need to process it at least the middle ground. So you're suggesting is that the American people won't be on the hook for this, that you put them. So right now that the whole problem is aside from even the courts and that whole issue, they don't have enough bed space. And they of course signed this ridiculous bill that cut bed space rather than growing it. And so that I, I just, and by the way, the article with you quoted in uh, my piece is out right now, as of this afternoon, just came out just since December 21st. So just two months of this flow, 84,500 illegal aliens. Again, the most impoverished people you could imagine from rural Central America, lots of diseases coming in. It's now in the mainstream media, 2,200 quarantined, but you can imagine how many others have problems that we haven't picked up on. Let go so quickly within 48 hours, uh, 14,500 in Phoenix, 36,500 in South Texas, um, many, many more. You're saying we would have tent cities, so we wouldn't have to worry about catch and release. The American people don't have to worry about them disappearing. The crime, the diseases, the public charge, they're going to be contained. 
Okay, so that's that's number one. Um, and 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 by the way, I just one one more point. You mentioned about the media coverage and the humanitarian thing. Ironically, by doing what they're doing now, not only aren't they caring for the American people, but they're getting hit by the media for dropping them off. For, for even doing the amnesty, right. right? No matter what they do, we all know there are going to be negative media stories. They're I mean, treat, they say they're treated even, like even animals. Even the catch and release is now uh, you know, causing the media to attack the administration. <laughs> exactly. They're saying you, so, they don't know where to go. You drop them off randomly without any guidance. So here you, you keep them contained. You can make them beautiful 10 cities for the amount of money we're spending. I mean you could build a Taj Mahal um, and, and come out ahead financially. Okay, then there's a second half. People say, well, uh, but okay, fine. You got them there. So you ended the severe immediate catch and release that's happening now as a result of just the self-fulfilling death spiral of incentives to come and lack of bed space. Okay, what about, but then don't, we have to, didn't the court say we have to release it now? Let's just say the courts are God for a minute. Okay, so we're just going to say that the lower, you know, you got to listen to it. Um, What's your plan to deal with that? They are asking for asylum, so we should adjudicate their asylum claim very quickly. It shouldn't take that long to do. We know from experience, and this has been going on for more than six years, that the vast majority of these cases uh, of families and unaccompanied minors, something less than 10% of them actually are found qualified for asylum by a judge. So let's adjudicate the cases. Forget the other 800,000 cases on the docket for the moment. Let's deal with the crisis. Let's, you know, if your house is flooding, turn off the water first and then clean up the mess. So let's get a handle on the inflow of people and stop it by keeping them in custody and deciding their cases. And maybe there are a few who qualify. Let's say 10% of them do qualify. Fine. They get released. The other 90% get removed promptly and either to Mexico or to their home country. And, you know, paying for that is a lot less money than keeping them here for years and years, probably indefinitely or permanently. Um, and, and, you know, we can give them due process, but it can be an accelerated due process. We'll let them tell their story, and then we'll make a decision based on the law and the reality is we know that most of them aren't going to qualify for asylum, but they, you know, if, unless we keep them in custody, we're not going to be able to remove them easily or yeah. efficiently. So that's key is, I mean, the real key here is not letting people put down roots in the country, you know, enter and put down roots, because once people get into the country, it's, it's pretty much game over yeah. in a lot of ways if we don't keep them in custody. And they know that. Um, and, and yeah, there, sure, there will be lawsuits, but there will also, under this plan, there would also be thousands and thousands of people turned around immediately, um, you know, what seems like immediately, within 72 hours. And that's the only message that the prospective illegal arrivals are going to understand, when the people who went a week before them yes. are already on a bus back home. Yes, exactly. That they, message spreads fast. They don't read Trump's Twitter or watch his CPAC speeches or campaign rallies. What they see is no, what you just said. No, not even the ACLU newsletter or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they see the tranche in Facebook. front of them. Right. That's how they all knew to come to begin with. Because in the early days of this, the, the migrants themselves were 
note saying, you know, when they got there, what they called a permiso, it was their notice to appear in immigration court. They would take a picture or a selfie of themselves with it and a big smile on their face, say, I got my permiso and sending it back to friends and family in Guatemala or El Salvador or Honduras. And who wouldn't come after getting that text from your cousin or your neighbor or whatever? And by the way, um, new know. iPhones are a lot of money. You know, they make you pay for them now. So I don't know where they get that money from, but they always seem to they, they have what they need in order to get here and, um, you know, and to work for the cartels and pay them. And that's that's a whole nother discussion. But, you know, you you mentioned a lot of really interesting things there that, you know, and, and I suspect and from what I hear internally, this happens in the White House. It happens in the departments and agencies. This discussion is playing out. And what it seems like they do is they foreclose on every single pro-American, simple, common sense idea. No, you can't do it. Can't do it illegally. Uh, we don't have enough resources. And everything is no. So they make everything a fixed. And the one variable is is down to nothingness. And they're like, we, we can't do anything. And what you're saying is you need to revisit some of these premises. Uh, there's nothing we can do. Can't, we have to release. Well, really, do, do you have to? Um, what I found, One of the things I found interesting is the media. Yeah, what if you don't? Yeah, I'm sorry? You know, what if they don't? Who's going to come? You know, <laughs> what's going to happen? You know, is, is a, a Ninth Circuit judge going to come and wrap your knuckles with a ruler? I don't think you're going to. It is it is unbelievable. And, and and look, what you're saying, and obviously I've spoken for hours about this on last week's shows, just you know, at some point you have to stand up anyway because it's not even about statute. The last week the Ninth Circuit said that the IRA, the 1996 law stripping the courts of jurisdiction to hear the case, in other words, a mixture of immigration power and jurisdiction stripping power, two plenary powers of Congress, just said, no, you can't. They, they, they get to um, appeal to the Article Three courts even when they're denied asylum. Well, I mean, if you do that, there's nothing left anyway. So at some right. point, you got to tell them no. And and here's the thing, Jessica. Trump is focusing 100% of his attention on what's not the cause. It's the reprogramming funding for a border wall, which, again, we're now directing border agents to pick up the people behind the wall anyway. So you know, if you don't solve that, the wall is not going to work anyway. And guess what? That's going to go to the courts, too. And a lower court's going to say, have his piece on that, too. So you may as well at least have the fight on something bigger. Exactly. Uh, and they're, they don't they, they seem unwilling to fight at this point. And that is surrender. I want to go and through some of the mechanics of this. Of their response. Could you discuss, discuss some of the mechanics of this a little bit more? Um you know they'll they'll say they don't have resources to adjudicate them in enough time. In terms of the laws on the books, what sort of people could qualify um, to adjudicate asylum cases that that we could you know marshal and and bring to the front lines? Well, of course we have a core of asylum officers at USCIS who are hired often from NGOs that deal with refugees, you know, there are people who, you know, want to, um, you know, work on this issue and are, you know, concerned about the fate of people who face oppression in the world. Um, and so, and they're trained, um, but government agencies in crisis situations when they're shorthanded also frequently hire people for, for a temporary assignment or as a contract worker. You know, often it's people who retired from the agency 
or people who've worked for a, a, another agency doing a similar job. There are lots of people that they could hire on a temporary basis to help adjudicate this cases, to kind of surge resources to this. They could hire retired asylum officers, retired consular officers. They could hire retired any retired Border Patrol, CBP, or immigration officer to go down and um, train them quickly on, you know, most of them know the INA anyway. You know, the law is pretty clear that you qualify for asylum if you can show that you have been persecuted on the basis of your race, religion, political opinion, membership in a particular social group, or ethnicity. And, uh, you know, again, many people have done this work before, and they could, retired immigration judges could do this. They should send them down and tell them to interpret the law the way it's written and decide these cases and just get it done. And And I think that their decision-making probably would not be all that different from the existing immigration courts we have, which are very generous, frankly, to <laughs> asylum applicants. And that's a whole other discussion, the the nature of the personnel that has uh, uh, populated. Right. But, but that, here's, yeah. this is, if we don't start adjudicating them, this is what happens is right now most of them are told by the smugglers that they don't even have to really apply for asylum. They just get past the credible fear screening, which is the first hurdle, which almost everyone can clear pretty easily. And half of them we know from DOJ statistics do not even fill out the asylum application. And of those who do, at least half of them don't show up for their court hearing. So why give that? Why are we releasing people when we know the majority of them have no intention of making an asylum claim for real? So get it done sooner and just say, call their bluff, essentially, is what it's doing. Oh, asylum, okay, step to this desk here and meet your asylum officer. And if the asylum officer says, okay, then, you know, okay, we'll let them have that first step. But if they're applying the law as it's written, most of these cases are, are not going to, they're routine slam dunk denial. And, and that's what bothers me, that I don't see this administration treating this as an emergency on all cylinders. It just, if it is, you don't be like, yeah, you know what, Jessica, I guess we just don't have a country. Yeah, yeah, you know, anyone could come. It's it's up to an annualized pace of about 900, 990,000. It's going to get more. Um, And yeah, they go get released and uh, diseases and uh, there's nothing we can do. I mean, really? I mean, I, I always said, as Scalia once said in a 2011 case, about releasing 46,000 prisoners, you know, some leftist court did that in California. And he was like, you would bend every law to avoid that result. And here, they're the ones bending the law to get this result, uh, you know, and we're, we're trying to do the straight narrow. So you're, you're kind of coming with the case that, wait a minute, is it really true that we don't have the resources, we don't have the ability to stop this? And and I think this is a very important idea. Um, gosh, I could be with you forever. I don't want to hold you too long. I want to go to the second half of this. So this is all about plugging a hole. You got to put the troops, whether it's physically the uh, military, I believe, needs to be put on the line to combat the cartels. It's a whole other point. Cartel activity, whether it's the asylum adjudicators and immigration judges, put them at the border in the tents, hold them, hold the right. line there. You don't have to do that permanently. You ha It's all about one word, 
demagnetizing the border, demagnetizing the border. Right. You do that in one iteration, one tranche of migrants, and then that in itself will create a reverse positive spiral. Um, so you have another idea you mentioned to me, and it's in this article uh, that will be linked to in show notes. So uh, another way of kind of accelerating this uh, message to Central America that we're closed for business, we take for granted, okay, so they get in America, catch and release, and it's th- that creates a backlog. So then they never will show up, and they abscond, and they're here forever. Well, does it really have to be that way? What about all the people that absconded um, it turns out that according to uh, DOJ's Executive Office of Immigration Review, called EOR, not to be mixed up with the donkey and Winnie the Pooh, but E-O-I-R, um, it, just in the first three months of this fiscal they share year. share some qualities. <laughs> oh, my God. That, I was waiting for that. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, uh, in, in terms of their cynicism of our sovereignty, yeah. Um, just in the first three months of the fiscal year, there were 17,000 200 removal orders already issued in in absentia, meaning they didn't show up, they violated our laws, and they're still here. So we take for granted, yeah, yeah, they're here, there's nothing we can do about it. Why doesn't ICE send the message and go after them and start deporting them? So rather than all these stories that these reporters go down to Guatemala and they're like, hey, I got the relative in New Jersey, they're living the life, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to go join them, you know, have stories, hey, they're being sent back, and then they'll get the message. Right, because some of those people are in, in Guatemala are saying, you know, I never really thought about going before, but everyone says now's the time to do it, so I think I will. That's <laughs> a typical story, too. <laughs> but, yeah, this is a problem. I mean, it wouldn't be that hard. For, ICE does not have the resources to go after all of them right away, sure. but, in, you know, neither does any local police department have the resources to go after every person who exceeds the speed limit or, um, you know, shoplifts or, you know, does any number of, you know, relatively low-level crimes. But the way you deter it is to create like a, a climate where there is a meaningful chance that you might be caught. And if you are, it's a bad consequence. So these people, those who have absconded from their generous due process that we gave them, who said they wanted asylum and then, you know, didn't really mean it. They really just wanted to live here. And so they blew off their court hearing. That's a felony to fail to appear for your immigration hearing. And the the system makes it very clear to these people that they must show up and that there are consequences for not doing so. Now, you know, right now, these are sort of, you know, meaningless threats, but let's make them meaningful. We have their name issued. They have an A number issue a criminal warrant for this person who has committed this crime now, who has abused our immigration system. Now, some of them, we know exactly where they are because they've been put on what's called alternative to detention, which means they're required to check in mm. with an office every month and they have to give their cell phone. And, and I visited one of these centers out in Manassas, Virginia, uh, where, you know, and watched them do their job and people come in and they're wearing an ankle bracelet sometimes, sometimes not. Um, and by the way, they're, they drive into the parking lot in, in cars with a Maryland license plate because they can register a vehicle oh, in Maryland, even though, and they have a Maryland driver's license, I'm told. Oh my gosh. And often they're wearing a uniform from an employer. Now these are oh, people, they're boy. not authorized to work. They're not authorized to be here at all, but they're 
driving around with Maryland identification. So, um, Ma- Jessica, I, you just really pissed me off. I can't believe you mentioned that. My <laughs> wife two weeks ago sat for four Sorry. hours at the Westminster MVA. That's what we call it in Maryland, not the MVA. Yeah. Um, four hours because everything had to be just right and all the uh, real ID requirements. And these guys could just waltz in and get what they want. Oh, I can tell you, there's a bunch of Central Americans who are here, came illegally, who have ankle bracelets on and check in with ICE monthly, or ICE's contractor, really, who are driving around in cars registered in Maryland and using Maryland driver's licenses as identification to get jobs. They all do. They all work openly. And the, 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 the contractor that monitors them said, yeah, we, we tell them, we know you're not supposed to be working, but we know you are, so you need to tell us where you work. So they've got all this information on all these people. They could just take a random sample or pick the ones who have been committed of some petty crimes and just start enforcing, you know, issuing a criminal warrant. And here's the key. Maryland is, you know, just the side of a sanctuary. There are sanctuary jurisdictions in Maryland. Actually, most of them are living in Virginia and Fairfax County is a sanctuary. Oh, yeah. So uh, let's say they're living in Fairfax County. Well, even though Fairfax County is a sanctuary, they still have to honor a criminal warrant that comes from ICE. So if they come into contact with local authorities for, uh, I'm told shoplifting is a problem, drunk driving and offenses like that, ICE can go in and get them and they can take the, get the entire family and send them home. And maybe, you know, sure, people argue, well, that means ICE can't go after rapists and murderers and, you know, drug traffickers. Well, yes, they can. ICE has the resources to do both. Right now, ICE does things like uh, investigates intellectual property violations and, you know, counterfeit contact lens makers and, um, you know, returns stolen antiquities to other countries. That's all fine. But that's we do have a national emergency. So. They could redeploy some of their resources for a certain period of time to start arresting yes. people who absconded. And yes. that would send a very powerful message also. You're making a really important point. And again, I haven't, I didn't think of it this way until you spoke to me yesterday about it, that we have – you know, could be at least 2 million criminal aliens as a country. We don't even have enough resources to get them all. And of course, just from a prioritization standpoint, we would want to prioritize the criminal aliens, not necessarily anyone coming across the border with, you know, doesn't have a criminal record. But if these are the ones that are magnetizing an annualized flow of a million people and you need to shut that down, then it does pay to divert me even from criminal aliens for this one time for a period of a few months to yes we're going to go after the absconders of the recent wave so then the message goes out oh no you could be thrown out because what my concern is and tell me if i'm wrong that it's not so much a resource thing that it's a political thing that these people have mm-hmm. become a protected class that we treat them as almost like, oh, they're, they're asylees and th- there's nothing we could do until we change the law. And like you're saying, even though it's not – a lot of it's not the law. A lot of it's these garbage court rulings. But even if you would follow the court rulings, we're not – I mean – these are people – isn't it true that if you cut off your bracelet, which a lot of them do, or you abscond, we could immediately get a deportation order in absentia from immigration judge, and we should be able to go get you? Yes, 
it's destruction of government property if you cut off your ankle bracelet. Aren't a lot of it's them doing violating that? violating the terms of – yeah, it's violating the terms of your release as well. There are plenty of ways we could um, ratchet up the consequences for these individuals. And this is called broken windows policing. It's, mm. You know, no police department – at least I don't think there are any. There might be one really politically correct one, you know, in Minnesota or something that says, well, we're just not going to – enforce speed limits because we're only going to go after rapists and murderers. I don't think any law enforcement agency in the country adopts that attitude. They re- there's, everyone knows that there's a value to enforcing all of the laws that have a deterrent effect. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, we just need to start doing it in, uh, you know, for some people and it doesn't have to be everyone. Um, it won't take much more of an increase in enforcement to start making a difference on the flow of people coming in. We know this exactly. from experience. This is exactly what happened in 2007 and 2008 at the end of the Bush administration when they started doing worksite enforcement. People started going home on their own. Yes, I remember that. And, and then Pew started saying, there's net out migration. You know? Right, because nobody, you know, a normal person, would, which illegal immigrants are for the most part, would look around and say, gosh, that happened to somebody, you know, my neighbor. I don't want to be arrested in front of my kids and put in detention, even if it's for a short period, and have us all sort of kind of ripped out of our apartment and sent home. I want to do it on my terms, and we're going to start making plans to go back. And that's what they do. (sighs) Wow. So, I mean, the the, the bottom line is that, as I suspected, the administration, on one issue after another, they're not only obsequiously bowing to every lower court randomly form-shopped insidious breach of power violating standing case. Um, they're, they're giving them more than their courts are even asking for, and they're just refusing to even rub up against them to do anything else but just build the $2 billion fence for you know 50 miles here and there that will then send the agents behind to get them anyway and call it a day. And um, Gosh, I, I got to have you back more often. Just before we go, I, I'd be remiss if I don't have the queen of uh, interior enforcement on the show and not talk about sanctuary cities in general. Um, <laughs> because dude, I could just – I mean this is something that is just – it's so evil. It really it, – there's no ideology should should – result in you know should dictate such a result you know even if you're a liberal and it violates the social compact to take care of us just another story another day another story and this happens all the time often we don't even see it but now we do see it in the media uh this case yesterday out of san jose a 24 year old illegal was arrested um in a brutal slaying of a 59 year old woman in south san jose this guy carlos mm-hmm. eduardo uh Carranza, a Salvadoran, um, was arrested, and it turns out that ICE tried to get him nine times, um, and each time it was either Los Angeles or Santa Clara County did not um, honor it. In in Santa Clara County alone, he was convicted for convicted, convicted. Okay, so not even arrested, mm-hmm. convicted for kidnapping. Enough. Drug possession, battery on a police officer, trespassing and burglary. Um, I, 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 am I missing something, or has this issue not gotten better under this administration? It has not gotten better. Um, 
Santa Clara County has been a notorious sanctuary for a long time. Um, it's the county with San Jose, and um, it's always been a problem, although after the Kate Steinle case in 2015, the young woman who was murdered by uh, an illegal alien who had been released by San Francisco's police department under the sanctuary policy, um, there were members of the Santa Clara County Board that really got cold feet about their policy. But they were overruled ultimately by some others who, you know, for political reasons said, you know, we need to keep this. And, and usually the excuse they come up with is that if we don't have a sanctuary policy, then illegal alien victims of crime will not come forward and the county will be a more dangerous place because we won't be able to solve any crimes, which is all nonsense. Yes, they will come forward if they're victims. And yes, you, you will be able to solve crime. But, and what immigrants in the community are really afraid of are the criminals that you're releasing back into their community to keep preying on. But anyway, um, it's, you know, California has just kept doubling down on its sanctuary policy. The sheriffs are all against it. Um, the, it's even seven, one poll found 77% of the electorate is against it. But um, it has become gospel and a requirement for politicians in California and in other states, the state of Massachusetts that I recently moved from, has seen bizarre outcomes because of sanctuary policies where um, under a court ruling, you know, the legislature in Massachusetts didn't dare enact a sanctuary policy because they knew people were not in favor of it, even in Massachusetts. So where did they go? Did it. The courts. <laughs> uh, yeah, the courts, right. The ACLU has a strategy now. They actually have um, told folks that they, you know, a lot of these sanctuary cases are in the courts right now, and they're expected to go to the Supreme Court because there are some um, circuit splits. And so they, they're they open about their strategy. They said, you know, we don't think we're going to win at the Supreme Court. We think we're going to, you know, the court is going to rule that you know, federal law reigns supreme here, and it's clear about what the law is. And um, so what they've started doing is trying to get state courts mm. to strip law enforcement agencies in the state of any authority yes. to make arrests on beha- on, oh on the basis of federal administrative law. And now what we have in, in Massachusetts is um, the lawyers for the criminal aliens have gotten wise and they know that no one can hold them on the basis of an ICE detainer. So if they go to court and get off on a crime or get bailed out, now ICE is sitting in the courthouse waiting for them because, you know, it's public record. ICE knows when they're going to be on trial. They will ask to be sent back to jail, go back to the jail and then be released in the middle of the night. And they know ICE isn't going to be there. Like that's like since when did the criminal ask to go back to jail? But that's what they do to get to to milk this sanctuary policy. It produces these bizarre outcomes. And you have judges now who, if they see ICE in the courtroom, they will, um, without notice, let the criminal out the side door, literally, so that they can avoid ICE engaging. And I mean. You know, it's it's really crazy now the lengths that some officials will go to to execute a different standard of justice for illegal aliens than would be the case for American citizens. And really in the immigration context, 
not in the criminal context, everyone's equal. In the immigration context, they should be even we should be even tougher in the sense that you have no right to be here. So you're out of here um, in terms of just turning them right. over for deportation. And yet they're engaging in civil disobedience. What you're describing is what really frustrates me with even a lot of my colleagues that they're focused on, oh, Congress needs to change the laws. And we'd love for them to do certain things. But as you said, pigs will fly before they do that. At some point, this administration needs to take Reagan's admonition to mind, um, to heart. If not us, then then who? If not now, then when? That you know, the federal government is all powerful. They they seem to be able to do everything. But the one thing for which we created a federal government, they seem to not be able to do. Somehow, then the states remain reign supreme. State judges who are totally overruled on every other area of law, you know, that even the state should have control over. Um, somehow here, um, you know, I, I go back to to the fact that um. Madison wrote – it's fascinating. Madison wrote in a 1782 letter to Ed- Edmund Randolph. And now 1782 is a very important time because that was the fl- infl- that was the uh, transition period between mm-hmm. you know, the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution. And he wrote to uh, James uh, – uh, to, to Edmund Randolph that the – you know the article, the the Constitution that they wanted to create in the coming years would better control immigration and sovereignty for the entire union. The terminology used was to protect them, quote, from the intrusion of obnoxious of of obnoxious aliens through other states. Meaning, the point was <laughs> it, it, that 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 you know, for example, like today, that you have like you know criminals from other countries that we don't want to admit, and you'll have states that want to be more liberal and then screw the rest of the federal union with those people. And he wrote in Federalist Forty Two that um, you know when he was defending the Constitution after they already crafted it, that it solved quote a very serious embarrassment and quote defect. Of the articles whereby, quote, certain descriptions of aliens who had rendered themselves obnoxious uh, can force themselves on several states had they acquired the character of citizens under the laws of another state. And in other words, this is literally one of the top three things, this in interstate commerce and trade, why we create a federal government, why we give them powers. And yet this is the only thing they won't assert. Well, oh, the Trump administration can't do it. Congress needs to. But the courts are saying now, as you well know, I know you know this title of the law. They're saying um, 1373 of 8 U.S. Code, right, the INA, which requires the, um, the local governments to cooperate with, uh, with the feds, is unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, wh- yeah. where do we go from there? Right, right. Uh, you know, as judges as kings. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, this issue, I mean, there are reasons why Congress set up the system with, without judicial review. And one of the main reasons is the volume, the sheer volume of cases that are going to be put before the courts that would crush the courts if they actually had to start reviewing all of these appeals. for Under administrative law, it, can you imagine if everyone got to go to the federal courts to appeal an adverse decision on a disability <laughs> claim or something like that, or divorce. These are all, you know, civil law. The, they were, the federal courts just were not set up to do this, and for good reason. It's absurd. 
and, and even worse than in your case, it's that they don't have a right to be here in the first place. So it's not like, right. you know, anyone else where you say, oh, let's err on the side of more process, more due process, more rights. Here, it, it's the fact that there's one thing if you want to lock the guy up for 20 years for a crime, so then we, we give him the same process everyone else has. But if we just want to extend our sovereignty and say goodbye, we're not holding you at all. We're, don't let us stop you. Don't let the door hit you from behind. I mean, go and enjoy your life. I mean, and that's the big mistake all these courts are creating with these rights. They're trying to say, oh, well, you know, we've conferred on foreign nationals. right? No, that's when you want to indefinitely detain them. Here we're saying, no, please leave us alone. Go go enjoy yourself. Uh, peddle your drugs where you are. Leave us alone. Um, I, I just can't wrap my arms around how Republicans had trifecta control. To this day, they will not bring a single sanctuary piece of legislation to the floor, at least in the Senate, where they have control. I just want to get your reaction to this. Um, there's a new uh, poll out from where is this this is from uh quinnipiac ron DeSantis, a, a friend of mine who's now governor of florida announced he's cracking mm-hmm. down on sanctuary counties there over 60 percent of floridians support the plan and that includes a majority of every um demographic uh independence uh and uh, a plurality of hispanics Mm, interesting. Forty-eight to thirty-nine. I'm not surprised, though. I'm I'm really not surprised. You know, as no I said, no one wants them. Yeah, immigrants especially don't. Th- that's who they heard. I mean, you've seen the Washington Post did a series on MS-13 last year, and they would quote illegal immigrants in the story that you know, hey, I thought they are, I dealt with that at home, but now, uh, you know, here we have to pay. Um, what do they call it? Uh, it's almost like what the cartels do. They have to pay this extortion in some of the neighborhoods in Montgomery County, PG County, Maryland. Um, right. You know, you're doing nobody favors. Exactly. Except for except for the criminals. Sanctuary policies only protect the criminal alien. Yeah, by definition. I mean, we're talking about people that come into contact with law enforcement, that they're arrested, drunk driving, drug trafficking, assault, kidnap. I mean, the stuff we're seeing now and even convictions, that, that, that I really – um, I mean, I mean, just, just uh, before I let you go, could, could you just explain how how could ICE miss convictions? That's what I'm trying to. How could you be convicted and ICE not be able to get you? They let you out after you serve the time without notifying them. Right. They simply ICE will typically issue a, a detainer. It's a, a notice that they intend to take custody of a specific alien, and under the law. Local state and local law enforcement agencies have the authority in most states to honor that just as they would honor an arrest warrant from any other jurisdiction, whether it's, you know, the ATF or DEA or another state. So but for immigrate immigration is singled out as an enforcement agency that they simply will not honor their warrants. And every one of these detainers comes with a warrant of arrest. And it's an administrative warrant of arrest. There's no such thing as a judicial order for, you know, immigration arrests. Um, but they just say, no, we're not doing it. And they, you know, if the person's going to be released, they let them go. They don't tell, you know, the worst sanctuaries won't even tell ICE. The ones that feel that these policies are imposed on them by uh, misguided politicians will at least notify ICE when someone is being released. They'll say, okay, 10 a.m. on Thursday, so-and-so is, we're, we're going to let him out the door, so be here. 
Um, places like Santa Clara County won't even do that. They just release them. And the people are in the wind. They know ICE is looking for them. They're not stupid. <laughs> they know they're here illegally. They know that they'll be sent back to wherever if they are caught. They take off. They're not going to sit but around but and I wait for ICE. I understand the arrests when they release them when they're arrested. But when they're convicted and they serve time. What- well, a lot of times the way, in state courts, they're sentenced to time served if oh, they've been held. Right. If they didn't get bail, they'll often, you know, if it's some, you know, especially in California oh, where God. they have really diluted the sentencing there. Yeah, because this is where jailbreak meets open borders. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, they'll, they just and, – and even if they do time, the state you know, or the county and state jails won't notify ICE either. Because some, sometimes you don't know exactly when someone's going to be released. They have to calculate good time. You know, even if I knew sure. when they were – what their sentence was, they might have good time. There might be other factors. You know, I can't keep track of, you know – half the time they're not even allowed in the jails in the sanctuary. Wow. Um, so, you know, they don't know when and, – and there are people who get arrested, like, you know, for drunk driving or something. They, they're get, they get turned around pretty quickly. So they can't, you know, it's it's only certain kinds of cases where they can be pretty sure about when someone is going to be released and be there to get their hands on them. Yeah, and, and it's even more severe in, um, geez, I, I'm just stabbed and beat the mother to death. I, I didn't realize how this death was done. I'm just reading this now. We'll put it in show notes. Uh, the problem with California, what I was saying is that Again, all the states that have the most illegals are also just in general, even with Americans, they're so weak on crime now, even though, no, we're being too tough, Daniel. We're locking up too many people for too long. Actually, we don't lock up anyone anymore. But the point is they're abolishing bail. So what's starting to happen is like let's say someone's picked up on on, on drugs. Let's say ICE is like, all right, we'll get them on our own. Okay, so they don't cooperate. We'll try to get the guy on our own. But even even Americans, just everyone, they're out of there in a flash because they don't even have to post bail. Right. Right. That's like considered discriminatory now. Yeah. So in general, they're like that with, you know, it's not just illegal. They're poor, you know, <laughs> and then they're out the door. So they couldn't, you know, even if ICE kind of beefed up their resources and try to say, all right, you know, we're going to do this on our own without help. Um, it's it's just you can't you don't even know they're there and, and they're out in the flesh. And, and, and again, I, I think it's just important to close that this is all one big political and legal and judicial civil disobedience against sovereignty. They are creating a civil right to immigrate. They are doing to they, – they believe immigration enforcement is immoral fundamentally. Just like they, they believe it's like slavery. They believe it's, it's a civil rights. It's illegitimate. It's illegitimate, and they are treating it as such. And I think – my fear is even some of the our colleagues that are a little closer to our views don't fully understand that severity, and they're not operating under that premise. Like, well, let's try to fix the law. There's not. I, I mean, again, I, I I want good messaging bills. I want you know, if we had control and good guys willing to do things, but but you but that's only the first half. The second half is you have to be willing to stand behind it and say, hey, courts, you have no jurisdiction because we already did this in 1996. A lot of our dream items that we want to do were already passed in 1996, and the courts have messed with them, and we allow that to go on, and we just take everything for granted, which leads me to what I promised to be the final question. Is all of this kind of an illusion? 
and a fake fight that at the end of the day, the powers that be in the administration among Republicans, much less the Democrats, they complain about it. They might use it in the campaigns, the more conservative ones, but they're in these rural districts that have agro-processing, agricultural interests, and they just don't want to do what it takes to shut it down. Well, that's where leadership comes from the top. And, um, you know, if the president kept pushing on these issues and if his key appointees keep pushing it in the courts, there are going to be some victories. There there are going to be some defeats, too, and we're going to lose some ground, but we can also hold ground in other areas, maybe even gain ground, um, because eventually others will see that there is that this is where American voters are and. They will not want to cross the voters because what they care about is getting reelected. And there, there will be no we have, you know, I think we still are in a, a place where there is no political cost to being for sovereignty. It's not a liability. It's a plus, you know, with the electorate, with our fellow citizens for the most part. And that, you know, when it comes right down to it, politicians don't want to be seen as um, going too far. I mean, And I think even Nancy Pelosi senses that. That's what's amazing. I prefer to be optimistic. No, (laughs) no, no, you're right. I can't get up and go to work every day. No, Jessica, you're you're right, but it's not optimistic. It makes me even more ticked off. Look, I could be at peace (laughs) if I said, look, we're in the minority. Everyone wants illegals. But nobody I mean, I mean, to me, the average Democrat voter is to the right of your average Republican politician on this issue. Nobody, (laughs) and certainly with the criminal aliens and the sanctuaries and the stolen sovereignty, you know, the illegals voting and counted in the census and the and the, and the anchor babies, nobody wants stealing the American birthright. All of us, right, left, and we have certain just baselines that I think we all agree on, uh, and that's what bothers me. We're leaving so much politically on the table that if the administration would force the issue more, force a fight, at, at least right. you know start pushing back against the universal injunctions, so at least that would more quickly force the Supreme Court to take it up, and you know. Force it more on some of these other fronts, like we talked about with the tent cities, with starting to deport some of these people. Where even under the courts system, we have the power to do that. Um, start, you know, not just Mitch McConnell scheduling votes to disapprove of the emergency declaration, but to schedule votes on sanctuary cities. Democrats aren't made to feel the pain, so therefore, yeah, Pelosi, she knows abolishing ICE is a loser. But guess what, Jessica? The courts are doing it for them. And and they're they're not facing any liability for it because no one knows about it. Yeah, yeah. Although you know we're starting to see, I guess the Third Circuit has flipped back now to conservatives. So you know we'll see what happens. But we we can't go down without a fight anyway. No, that that that's the so. thing. At the end of the day, they will take this to the gates of you know what. I mean, they again, it's yeah, not it's, it's not it's never going to end. It's not one statute. It's not one part of immigration enforcement. It is. They have decided at a certain point, and it's been the, you know sometime over the last few years, which is why I wrote my book, Stolen Sovereignty, because I think you and I saw this even under the Obama administration. Even the people Obama wanted to deport, the legal profession, um, they were throwing monkey wrenches in that. And I was like, oh, man, if we ever actually tried to do what we really want to do, this is going to be where the fight's at. And they have they're just saying that now is the time to apply constitutional norms. And once you do that and once we accept that, well, 
you know, then no statute helps. So we're out of luck. We're out of time. Um, if not us, then who? If not now, then then uh, when? Uh, folks, that was Jessica Vaughn. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I am really going to have you back soon. There's just too much to talk about. <laughs> My pleasure, Daniel. Always good talking to you. All righty. Take care of yourself. I'm telling you guys, there's few people alive that have the broad, deep, long historical view on this issue that she has and has just been watching the mechanics of what criminal aliens have been doing to our country, what sanctuary cities have been doing. I could do a whole show with her just on that. Um, she's she's just very, very knowledgeable, terrific person, one of the few people in this business doing good work. Um, I wish her stuff would get out even more. But uh, anyway, we're out of time. Tomorrow's the big day with this resolution of disapproval against the president. And again, why is it Mitch McConnell bringing a bill to the floor immediately to deal with sanctuary cities? There are so many egregious cases. You want to uh, uh, tear it uh, at, at heartstrings the way the left does? Well, there's plenty of examples. Why don't we do it again? Because I suspect they don't really want to solve the issue. There's a lot more we could be doing, the administration could be doing, the Republican Party could be doing, but we don't actually do it because we don't believe in a sovereign nation. Till next time, thank you very much. God bless you all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conscience.